0: This week on the Koshcast. It's no surprise that the Canaries pressed high and you could see the fear in Otamendi's eyes as Buendia slipped it to Puki to steal the prize. Similarly, Socrates was out of practice as Arsenal deflated like a torn water mattress, Newcastle went ahead against Liverpool and got a slapped wrist, and Abraham didn't found three religions, but he did get a hat-trick. We should save a mention for heung Son, and no problem that Pogba is off pens for United, because Rashford is back on. All this, some Champions League chat, and a newly signed peace treaty. Listen up. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Koshcast on underthekoshblog.com and at under underscore the on Twitter. My name is Alex. Bernie is here. Hello, hello. And Mahan is here. Hello. How are you guys doing? One well, actually, well, I can't ask both of you because we're on conference call and that gets confusing. Bernie, how are you doing?
1: I am great. Great. No complaints
2: whatsoever.
0: Excellent. Mohanad, how are you?
2: Lots of complaints.
0: Perfect. That's how we like you.
2: <laughs> That's my status quo anyways.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, just to just to like give the listeners some context, um, Mohanad once arrived at my house, got out of the car, sighed deeply. I asked him what was wrong, and he replied... Nothing. This is just... Um... You said, I haven't decided yet.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Look, I live my life by keeping expectations low, so anything is good, and everything bad is like, well, I expected this, anyways.
0: Which is a very good philosophy if you're an Arsenal fan, which we will get to later on in the podcast. Um, Quickly, though, Bernie, you said you you have no complaints, so why don't we start with your non-complaints and Manchester United's weekend uh, because you know it was fairly irrelevant, so we'll get it get over with it quickly.
1: Okay, I thought we were gonna start with Norwich, like and see, like every other podcast I've listened to since the weekend. So I don't, I don't want, want to be to like every other podcast. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, let's start. Yes, I have no complaints except for uh, creativity. And to everyone who listens to the pod, I always say see previous pod because it's it's the same thing over and over again. However, uh, United won one nil. Marcus Rashford penalty. That was. Impressive in its own, because I wasn't ready for another week of Gary Neville talking to me about penalties at United. It's United. That, that was not going to interest me. Um, all in all, though, uh, this was an encouraging performance for me, because defensively the team was absolutely uh, pretty much spot on. Uh, Leicester could do absolutely nothing, nothing at all to Manchester United. Um, Maguire was imperious. Wan-Bissaka, you don't need to say anything about him, he's always good. Scott McTominay absolutely killed it in midfield, really stopped Madison from making progressive passes and progressive runs. Um, yeah, it was a game that was very cagey. And United just really held firm, pushed them back, did a good job. Solskjaer made good substitutions for once. So, yeah, no complaints.
0: Marnes, do you think Manchester United should be worried by the fact that even though they won this game, they did it with 42% of the ball?
2: I think, um, again, you you have to put it into context. I think United went into this game, I don't think, as favorites, especially with all the injuries that they had. I think Machel was out and a few other people were out. um, And it was a a little bit makeshift. Um, I I just feel that McTominay is growing um, in stature in in United's midfield over these last, what, five games or so. Um, And... You know he's not the best in terms of keeping possession, but he is the best. He's getting good in terms of like breaking up play and and uh, progressing the ball. So I, I thought I thought United did really well. I, I didn't expect them to dominate the ball. Um, I I expected Leicester to win this game to be honest. And if United were going to win, it was going to be a bit of a smash and grab um, was my prediction. And you know United do get a lot of penalties. Um, I'm not saying they're not warranted, but there's definitely. Um, You know an outlier in the statistics there for her um how much um how many penalties United seem to get compared to everyone else um relatively speaking so um I I think Rashford did well to get it but again I thought I thought it was soft and I also thought the Leicester defender could have done I think he's a Turkish guy if I'm not mistaken yeah um he could have done much better in terms of just keeping his head Rashford was not going towards goal he was just trying to poke the ball away so um overall a a good enough performance, much better than I expected from United, and a much, much better result than I expected.
0: Just on uh, on the Turkish defender, um, I think his name is Soyuncu. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but apparently, the lesser fans were singing at Maguire, We don't need you, we've got Soyuncu, and then he promptly fouled Marcus Rashford in the box. So that's nice. <laughs> and and to, to add to that point, like Soyuncu actually did okay in this game, except
1: for that moment. Um, I didn't really see too much wrong, but Aaron Maguire was honestly imperious in this game. He won everything in the air. His positioning was fantastic. There were two times where Damari Gray and Vardy had free runs um, right in front of the United Defense, and he mopped up because of his positioning. The guy was honestly brilliant in this game and showed why it was necessary to pick him up, but I just want to talk about Leicester a little bit. Leicester have a fullback who I like in Chilwell, and another fullback I think is you know pretty good in in Pereira, and they had rubbish games. When Bissaka pushed uh, Chilwell back. Chilwell could not actually um, attack at all, and Pereira was rubbish defensively for the first time I've seen him in a while. Daniel James put him on his back. He's strong nutmegged him, and all the time that they were going through that side. So, you know, these are players that people said oh against United team, and they really. Did, came up very, very short. And that's also because
0: of the tactics, I'm I, I kind of wondered if Pereira was like maybe ill or something. He didn't really look himself. I, as you said, that was the first time I've ever seen him really get beaten like that. Maybe, you know, we don't know because we don't watch Leicester that closely, but it was a bit surprising.
2: No, I was just going to say, I was just, again, on under Pereira and, and more in like the, the big picture, looking at the, looking at the lineup. Like, I mean, we talked before the game that if Leicester didn't dominate, the midfield of Matetz, McTominay, and Juan Mata. Then there's you know there's definitely a problem there. That's that is on paper even not a strong midfield, um, a midfield that definitely two of their three, two of those three don't have any legs left. Um, so I understand why Pereira played to kind of try and, and add that um, physicality, that hustle from from you know from a younger guy. But yes, he he did not have a good game.
1: On the on the midfield though, one thing that did impress me outside of McTominay was. When Solskjaer switched Matish for Fred, that was at the point in time where Leicester had all the ball. And United, were, because of Fred's tenacity, aggression, uh, and just progressive passing, they started pushing Leicester back. And that's what a manager is supposed to do. That's what he should have done at Southampton. He didn't do it. Um, I think he should have done it earlier in um, the Wolves game even. So have someone like that who can just get a hold of the ball and just move it. And for once, he finally did it, and it paid off. And, you know, in the end, it wasn't even that dangerous. Lester had no actual clear-cut chances in the whole game except for the first one that Madison had off a of Lindelof era. That was it. So I, very impressive all that as a result.
2: I have a question for you. Um, is Ashley Young right now, is he ahead of Luke Shaw in the packing order? I'm not saying he is, like, in terms of, he'll you know, pick Ashley. I'm saying, should he be?
0: When it comes to a pecking order, Luke Shaw is always first. <laughs>
2: That's a good point. Um, but I just feel that Ashley Young deserves to be ahead of Luke Shaw, just performance-wise. I know Luke Shaw is like the progressive guy and the left-footed, and you know the younger guy is supposed to be, you know, on paper all these things. But I feel you're just way more solid with Ashley Young. Ashley Young does seem to. All, this is all relative to Luke Shaw. This seems to be. You know, he, he's more experienced. He makes the right decision more often than not. And I just feel he's just more solid overall compared to Luke Shaw.
1: I think what you're doing is looking at one game and remembering what he was. Even, let's say, was it, when was the last World Cup? 2016? And that season when he got into the World Cup, he started for England and remembering that. That's not the Ashley Young that was there last year. Because Luke Shaw wasn't all that great, but he was reliable last season. At the same time, Manchester United were attacked 60% of the time, this, this, actually 70% of the time, Ashley Young side last season. So Ashley Young was not doing the right thing, for have seen as liability. He had a good game actually yesterday, but that's not sustainable. Luke Shaw is probably unsustainable for the ecosystem, different reasons, but uh, <laughs> still more reliable than Ashley Young
0: overall. Fair enough. Uh, I've got a quick stat for you, uh, which is blowing my mind actually. United are unbeaten in their last 134 home Premier League games when they have scored first. So there's your strategy. Just go for it and fight within the first 5-10 minutes. Yeah, and then the rest is guaranteed.
2: That's, that's the exactly. stat. Uh,
1: another stat, 10 goals and scored 5 at the same point last season. Now they've conceded 4 and scored 8. There is a subtle improvement that's being shown here, in that's defensively.
0: Did you basically just say Ole's at the wheel but using different words? <laughs> no, uh, it's
1: Maguire and Wambasaka at the back. <laughs> put,
2: put, put the contract in front of him, let him put whatever number he wants on it, and let him sign the damn thing. Ole's at the wheel.
1: <laughs> I, think, I think that statement was actually about the AI, not, not, not no, uh, Ole. No, if you actually no. go back and listen to the tape, it, it actually, it, you heard Ole. And I heard Ole, but I think they really meant to hear that got lost in translation.
2: Well, that happened. So he signed the new what five-year contract or something like that. Something crazy lost for four, yeah, basically five. Four with an option for a bit. Yeah, keeping him pretty much at United, possibly for the rest of his career, if not, you know, um, like his his you know his top top of the line career, or whatever you want to call it. Um, that that's a very good. Um, for United, I think he's he's he obviously has his ups and downs, but he's one of the best keepers in the world. And you know, as your team hopefully for your sake improves and you add better additions and all that good stuff, having someone like the hair at the back just is is a big plus. Yep. Yep. Agreed. All right. Sorry, Mohamed.
0: Wouldn't you usually be angry at the hair for showing a lack of ambition in this kind of situation?
2: I am. I am. Uh, I just didn't want to bring it up, but I I do feel it's it's a stupid decision on his end. I'm, I was talking about United's end. It's a great move for you I I, I never said it was for De Gea fair enough
0: uh okay let's uh Bernie now we can talk about the the game that everyone talked about first because we haven't done it first so um Manchester City got beaten by newly promoted Norwich now Norwich have been playing some wonderful football this season very attacking high press playing out from the back um like a little Manchester City but also conceding loads of goals so I kind of expected them to get beaten maybe like 7-3 or something but this was an astonishing performance from Norwich
2: yeah I was going to say that Alex that, that's, if you had to put a prediction it would. I would have predicted something similar to the Chelsea game where um, like you said they're not really very good defensively so they're going to get you know they're going to score a few goals maybe one or two because City aren't the best defensively, leader especially with uh, Laporte being out for a long time until the, until the new year at least and Having I mean, Otamendi and Stones at the center of your defenses is, is never, um, n- never fills you with confidence. But I did think City were going to score like at least five or six um, this game. But nor it's just they. You know, the first what half an hour until whenever they scored their their first goal, um, 18th minute. Yeah, first 20 minutes, and then the second goal came at at the half an hour mark. They just the game plan was perfect. It was perfect. City didn't have. You know they weren't that dangerous, but it's it's when they break or get some possession is when they're very impressive and kind of separate themselves from everyone else. They 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 play with an an intensity and an intention to go at you and not just hoof the ball back and keep soaking up pressure. And that really worked for them. And you know what? Fair play to them. They they thoroughly deserved it. I mean, obviously, when you have like brain dead players like you know Stones and Aramendi and at some points Walker, it does help. But still, this is a fantastic result.
0: Yeah,
1: I, I I have to agree. I was very very impressed because you know that first game they played against Liverpool, they actually weren't as bad as the four one scoreline suggested. Um, if Pookie had put away more chances that day, you know he'd be the runaway leader in the in the in the scoring charts. But they could have got closer. Not that they definitely lost, but they could have got closer. And what's interesting is Pookie. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but he's not actually all that great a finisher. He always has at least two shots in the game where it's one-on-one and he just, like, scuffs it. Like, his miss kick just becomes a scuff. He did against Liverpool multiple times, so he did not one-on-one in this game. But he will score a goal in the game. I, I don't – like, there's something about him where he's just determined and dogged he will score a goal. And he also had an assist in this game off the, um, the counterfact that Mo was talking about. But that play in particular is interesting to me because I was talking to um, – on Twitter with uh, Amit. What, what, I don't understand what Walker was doing at two points. Firstly, he played, I think it was on side, which was just brain dead because he could see the whole line. But then he decided to leave Cantwell, thinking that he could cut the angle off for a pass, but he did neither. He didn't stop Pookie. He didn't cut. Mm-hmm. He didn't stop the passing lane and just left Cantwell. The decision you make at that point is let Pookie go one-on-one and drag the ball wide or something or, or have and Edison. Keep Cantwell in front of you. I thought that was completely brain dead on top of what Otamendi did in the,
0: in the second half on the Walker thing. I agree. I agree. I have no idea what he's doing when he plays them on side. He's in a difficult situation later on and he starts off by, by trying to cut off the passing lane. And then eventually he decides he's got to go to the ball, which to be fair is a traditional defender's, you know, lesson is like, you know, eventually you have to go to the ball and and make the guy make the pass and Pukki's passes was perfect. Um, and Cantwell as well, just, just to touch on him uh, and his very funny dance, which I think can't go unmentioned. Um, this guy came out of the, the Norwich Academy, as a few of their players have, stepped up to the Premier League. I'm not, he wasn't even really a starter in the, in the championship necessarily. And he's like, I, I mean, to, to put it in, in SPL terms, he's one of the highest scoring players. Like He's got a bunch of assists and goals already, and he's just come out of nowhere. It's kind of cool to see.
2: Yeah, no, no I'm, I just, before moving on from the Walker thing, because it was amazing, I, I can I can agree with both of you guys, but I do slightly lean towards Bernie's point of view, which is Pookie wasn't really kind of central enough for a one-on-one for that to be the um, biggest threat. Obviously, he's the biggest threat. He has the ball, he's going to shoot, and he's Pookie, he's, you know, he's on form, blah, blah, blah. But I just felt he was wide enough to have faith in Ederson closing down the angle, because the minute you go up to him, then you're leaving an open goal. And I just felt like the risk and the reward there was not calculated correctly by, by Walker. The other thing Bernie said was that Timo Pukki is not the best finisher, regardless of, of you know, what, what you're seeing there. I want to say that the third goal, the one where they intercepted the ball and he got the ball um, kind of across the goal to him, that pass um, from Wendia wasn't the best pass when it was like the easiest pass in the world. But it was like, he was almost like too nervous. The ball started bobbling towards Pookie. I thought the first touch was great. And even the finish, I thought he picked his spot high up and between the kind of converging center back and the keeper. I thought he actually, this one, it looks very simple. I just thought it had something in it a little bit that I liked.
0: Totally agree. Also, it's ironic that we're talking about his finishing because he is finished. Hey. (laughs) Uh, you know what that's our fault that's really our fault for
1: letting alex have that we literally put it on the plate for him
0: Uh, i'm just gonna i'm just gonna add while i'm here that stones was not a rock at the back (laughs) (laughs) um (laughs) Uh, while we're on that topic he
1: was he was bad he's so so bad decision making is so poor and oh god! And with like you said, Mo Otamendi is completely brain dead. And having those two clowns, this, this, we now have United shipped away. With, um, what's his name? Chris Smalling. Now we know who the Choco Brothers are. This is going to be great until <laughs> the part gets back. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, I have to add though that um, I thought um, Rodri's goal was very well taken by him. Um, just interesting to see you know him having that in his locker. Um, I, I think. Um, Norwich keeper, what's his name, Dutch guy? Kruhl. Cool. I cool, yeah. Tim Krul could have done a little bit better, especially that he got a touch to it, but it was a good shot by Rodri. And uh, again, Sergio Aguero is just, he just keeps scoring, man. He just keeps scoring. And, you know, Pep's not going to be happy. Um, of course he isn't. But I don't know. I think Liverpool now are really, I mean, we can talk about them, but I feel like five points, five-point gap already this point of the season, I know people are going to say it's only five games in, there's another, whatever, 32. But, you know, five points at any point um, ahead of City with how good Liverpool are, this could, this potentially could be over if Liverpool just, you know, do the, you know, the same as they did last season, if not even a little worse.
1: Sorry, before we go on to Liverpool, I want to ask two Fernandinho questions. One, if it ain't broke, I mean, Rodri has been really, really good. But if it ain't broke, why fix it? One first question. Second question, at what point in the season do you think he's going to start playing uh, centre-back the way Mascherano and Javi Martinez did for uh, uh
0: With regards to if it ain't broke, I think fixing things before they break is, is really smart. And so bringing Rodri in to do that makes sense. Um, although I didn't expect him to start every game. I thought maybe they would, they would rotate a bit. Uh, and on the basis of this evidence, Fernandinho
2: at centre-back has to happen very soon. I um, remember, guys, before the game, when the game started and the lineup came up, I told you that Pep has one guy per season. This season's guy is Fernandinho. First season, there's always the starter that killed the season before that all of a sudden finds themselves out of the team. Aguero was, what, two, three seasons ago, but he forced himself back in. I mean, Pep's wet dream, I still believe, was to have Jesus lead the line, but Jesus didn't step up and Aguero did it. And then I think the season's it's um it's gonna be Fernandino, and I'm surprised Cancelo isn't isn't playing yet. Is he injured or no? He's on the bench. Right. Yeah. I mean, slowly a few more mistakes from Walker, and and you might see uh, Walker be that, that next victim. So we'll see. He he likes to change it up. That's for sure.
0: Yeah, I wonder if we won't see Cancelo and Fernandino in the in the Champions League this week.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, the, the, the city bench is ridiculous. Like, it's crazy. Oh yeah. You know, he had De Bruyne, Fernandino, Cancelo, Amarez, all these guys on his All these guys on a on the bench for a Premier League game. Like, that's insane. I think I think someone calculated um, the stat going around there. The first one billion euro squad, like all in with the players registered. That that's how that's how crazy their their squad is. Makes
0: sense. Um, okay, so from City then to Liverpool, who went behind to an absolutely ridiculous Jethro Williams goal. Um, not really sure what, was it Trent that he beat? Who did he beat? Yeah, Trent. Trent
1: Alexander-Arnold, who can defend, yeah. but is a wonderful attacker. And that's my agenda hey. for the day. Thank you very much.
2: <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Yeah,
0: uh, we're cancelling Bernie's TEDx series. Um <laughs> Defender gets beaten once, can no longer defend. Um, but it was an absolutely stunning hit from, from the Newcastle left back. Um, I'm sorry. At, at, that, at that point, I don't think anyone really thought that on today's topic that it would be sustainable.
2: I, I have to say that. I know it was a wonderful hit. But honestly, honestly, he had no idea what was going on. First of all, that step over thing, whatever that is, that's not a step over. I have no idea what he just did there. To like put it onto his right, next it was like he's left footed, so this was just like a lash as hard as I can. Uh, happens, I just really, really believe there was so much good fortune there in that goal, and I think he's like maybe 20% of control of that outcome. <laughs> I, I think,
1: I think we even if it is, which I do think there's a good chunk of that, but the, the, the trick to get past Arnold. Which by the way Rashford did to him twice in a row, but anyway. Uh that trick he did to get past Arnold, like that was on purpose. So which me mean, which means that that was his intention. His intention was to do that <laughs> shot. Whether or not it was gonna work out or not is a is a whole different thing altogether.
0: I, I'm I'm rewatching it now, guys, and it's actually it's actually pretty deliberate. I, I can't take it away from him.
2: All right, okay. If you the- Have a look again.
0: I initially I did agree with you, Mo, but if you look at it again, it does look quite quite purposeful
2: i mean you should just all, all it takes to to see what i'm saying is this the look on arnold's face of like what is going on <laughs> <laughs> anyways yeah so they did go one nil up in like the seventh minute or whatever it was it was very early um but then you know main man uh you know sadio mane the the, the leader of this team uh the best player in africa uh, scored two.
1: How honorable of you to admit defeat. Thank you, Mo. And it's on record. I appreciate it.
2: Um, two quick succession goals. The first one was brilliant. Just fantastic curler into the top corner. Um, the best part of it is not even the curls, how fast he sorted his feet out to get the the shot off. So that was very impressive.
0: Money was, was amazing. Salah scored, but I think the player that took everyone's breath away. On the weekend was for me i mean the assist for solar's goal was delicious and mo i know you're not his biggest fan but the work that he does and the way that he creates space for those other two which is not so, you know this is not a revolutionary point right it was really emphasized today a number of the, the little through balls he put the lob over the top for um, robertson on the left oh yeah like, he was just imperious. The
2: the thing the thing is obviously you know I'm not an idiot. I understand how good he is I understand what he brings it's just one of these things with Firmino is like you almost need to watch every game ninety minutes to appreciate what he does you know what I mean like like it's not enough to just see the stats or it's not enough to maybe get a few highlights like I watched his game it was at seven thirty in the morning but you know it's been a long week I want to watch some Premier League I got up I watched it and the the difference in Liverpool's performance from pre-Firmino, because he started on the bench, if people didn't realize yeah. um He started on the bench, Origi was playing, Origi got injured, and he came off, and just the the flow of the game, the way they connected, everything was going through him from the first minute when he came on, and yes, that little, that little like, lofted pass to Robertson was just, you know, I, I love seeing the defender in no man's land, having no idea what to do. He's a great player, I get it. I'm just saying he also needs very good players around him. He's not going to carry. I, I
1: think it comes down
2: to, does he need to be that guy when you have, you know, the leader of
1: the team, Captain Fantastic, Sadio Mane, and then, you know, this Egyptian guy who's kind of good, um, Mohamed Salah, in that team. Not everyone needs to be a superstar. Some people can be, you know, the, the kick that, that helps out. There's no shame in that. And I think that that's okay with Firmino, as long as he's doing a couple of tricks and tricks. You know, he's creating almost the People say he's creating a new position, in a, but he's not because Benzema did that a lot for Cristiano. So, you know, th- there's a there's a there's a reference point, and I think he's one of the best at doing what he does do, and there's no shame in that.
2: Yeah. No. Cool.
0: Correct. Um. I just want to jump in with a with a Steve Bruce quote. We were okay in bits. That's, uh, yeah, like thanks,
2: like thanks the Steve. first bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah the first bit that's a good one it's like hey "Hey, hey, Bruce which bit the first bit oh okay Uh, um somebody who was um a team that was good in all bits this weekend was Chelsea um with a very 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 surprising result away to Wolves um who haven't won a game yet this season is that correct that's
0: correct uh they're they're doing well in this is the Europa League thing, man. I mean, I know it's obvious to point out, but they're doing well in the Europa League and they can't win a Premier League game
2: yeah, yeah the depth the depth is is not an easy thing for these teams that you know are mid table or or relegation or or up from the championship, and then all of a sudden they now have um all these European games to contend with. they have an f a cup to contend with, which is you know something they might have been out of earlier. Um, in earlier rounds. It is not easy to, to juggle all these competitions, and I think Wolves are starting to see that. Um, this game, I, I would not have expected Chelsea to score five past them away um, at the Molyneux. That that was surprising. Temi Abraham, um, I, I don't know what he's doing, but he seems to be doing it, whatever it is. I mean, he's scoring for both teams this game, so that's impressive. I'm not
1: particularly surprised, um, only because... Look, Wolves have not been good at all this season. And defensively, they were completely woeful. Like, if, you know, and as a reference point, uh, who did they play? They played, I mean, United, the United dominated midfield, which should tell you that the world's ending against, against a team like this. Um, and Chelsea, who have a good attack with terrible defense and a decent midfield, that was always going to be the same case here. Uh, the Europa League thing is one thing, but also they're just being claimed bad. Like, 5-2 against this Chelsea team, who also cannot defend, like you must be pretty, pretty bad in order for that to happen. And look, they can fix it, obviously. It's the beginning of the season, whatever. But not, not to have any wins just because you're in Europa League, I, I think that's what's laying them off easy. They're, they're just not getting it together. And then they have to figure it out.
0: I want to talk about two young center-backs. Uh, one for Wolves, who they got on loan from Real Madrid, uh, Jesus Vallejo, who Real Madrid fans will be interested to hear, was utter shit. Uh, like He's one of their promising young, young defenders, and he got absolutely rinsed in this game. Although, so Connor Cody, who was absolutely brilliant for Wolves last season, and he could not handle Tammy Abraham. Like Tammy Abraham just dominated him. It was kind of almost embarrassing. Um, but the other one is for Kaio Tomori, Chelsea's young centre-back. Who we talked about last week is maybe having to come into the team because um, you know they weren't defending properly, and they conceded two again. Chelsea, but Tamari was stunning going forward. A with the goal, and then B with the
2: the burst into space that set up was it the second goal? I think. Yeah, what a what a goal though! That first, like, I didn't see this game live, so I was watching the highlights, and you know I knew the goal was was coming, but like where the ball was and where he was, and I'm like wait. What exactly going to happen here? <laughs> and I think the one thing why Chelsea looked so good this game is is very simple. Actually, they played Marcus Alonso, a left back. You know, um, uh, with we, his
1: driving runs.
2: Yeah, and Marcus Alonso is just a fan. <laughs> oh, cool. uh, you know,
0: hey, just, I'm uh, sorry, I couldn't help it. <laughs> I mean, he, he was a real engine room. Um, he just hugs and, the uh, he, he just hugs the white line. <laughs> Alonzo was good individually, but I also want to give some credit to Frank Lampard um, tactically because I, I don't know whether this was because Wolves tend to play with two up front or because they play with three at the back and he wanted to match them, or whether he was just unsatisfied with what has been going on with his 4-3-3. But he switched to a three at the back for this game. Um, and so I guess that's partially why he brought Alonzo in to play that specialist wing-back role. And you know, maybe it was for a bit more defensive cover with the three center backs. I'm not sure, but it worked very well, and this was I think the first real kind of tactical change we've seen from Lampard, so that was interesting
2: yeah, and I thought uh, a few other tactical things like Kante wasn't available, I believe this game um so I think he's injured he he wasn't even the he wasn't in the starting lineup or um in the subs, so you know to do that without Kante is you know possibly arguably your best player. Um, is impressive. The other thing is, I thought Willian had a very good game. I know he didn't get on the score sheet or or, or anything out of like the five goals, and um, I'm not sure if he even assisted. I don't think he did, but just from watching the game and and how it unfolded, I thought he was quite um, energetic down the right hand side. He gave Wolves a lot of things to think about. He was direct and quick, and I, I thought he had a good game.
1: What what I what I expected, um, what I would have expected, um, actually. So, Jorginho, as we know, right, as, as we've talked about, I know he had a slightly different role um, under Lampard. Similar but different under Lampard than on the Sarri. But still, Madden did this, and Lester did this. Um, you run through the middle of Chelsea. Just run through the middle of Chelsea. But these guys didn't do that, Wolves. I watched this game. They didn't do that at all, and they didn't have the personnel to do it. Um, especially runners from deep, runners from midfield. Because Joram Moutinho and Neves don't do that. Neves doesn't get into the box. He just, like, he will score a golasso, and that's it. He have gone through those stats, But they're not going to be progressive enough with the ball to really bother Chelsea. And as well, they've actually been very, very poor, Neves himself. And that hurts me because this is a guy I want to sign even for $100 million, I don't care. So, but he's been very, very bad this season. And it's something I'm hoping that they can fix because I do like Wolves.
0: No, that's fair. I, I think also, not not only should you attack Jorginho, but you should also defend against him. The, I think it was for Abraham's hat trick, was it, when Jorginho picked it up and got it off the centre-back a couple of times, kind of directed the play, then spun around and lofted the ball over the top to put Abraham in. And it was like, you know that Chelsea play this way, and it's not just, you know, sorry's philosophy was play everything through Jorginho. Lampard's stuff you know, it's a bit more varied, but you still need to shut that guy down because he has the ability on the ball. And, and wolves really didn't do that, which as you said, disappointing.
1: Yeah. And one so thing, we didn't, we didn't really say much credit to Mason Mount and Tammy Abraham because, you know, they've been good. They've been lively this season. And I, I mean, we didn't expect Tammy to be top of the scoring charts at any point, although we no. did say he was good. Um, so really, really, really important performance for him. Credit to him. He's going to get England squad for sure. Nigerians all over the world are crying right now at losing losing him to his adopted country, the colonialists. Um, but that's okay. Uh, we'll take that on the chin. Uh, but yeah, I just want to make sure we gave Sammy Abraham his props because, yeah, he's been fantastic.
2: Yeah, and in terms of strikers as well, like uh, it, it's worth noting that um, Patrick Petroni came on and scored his first, I think his first goal in the Premier League? No, I'm yeah. Um, so, you know, if he, if he kicks on from here, he's a very good player. I think Wolves would, uh, would do really well to get him firing on all, on all cylinders.
0: For sure. Also, something I've noted in one of the match reports is that there are, there are reports that uh, Callum Hudson-Odoi, who is nearly back from injury, has agreed a new contract. And I wonder how important the start of this season has been and the face that Lampard has shown in the young players obviously partly through necessity but I think he's done he's done so more than he necessarily needed to in some with some you know respect and I wonder how much that's influenced Callum Hudson and Doyle's decision to to sign on again
2: no that's a good point that is a good point and and even though it is slightly by necessity you feel that the fact that it is Lampard as opposed to a Conte or a Mourinho or whatever, like he's not doing it just because it's a necessity. It just feels like maybe he's doing it also because he feels that it's, um, you know, it's a good chance to bleed these youngsters in. Another youngster that they spent a lot of money on is Pulisic. And, you know, he needs to start contributing. And, you know, he's losing his position to William or or whoever. And I know there's international breaks and all that comes into play, but this just really needs to start stepping up as their only Um, signing this summer well they're all well that and kovacic obviously but they're only new signing this summer so he he really needs to uh, step up this is his chance there's not a lot of competition so if you're going to stake your spot uh, at chelsea and just as a you know as a fixture in the premier league this is this is the moment to do it
1: i i do want to add on the youth um Thing. The interesting thing is people are saying Lampard's being brave. I think he is. Um, But then again, he's also doing what he knows in the sense of he's not playing anyone as far as the youngsters that he didn't coach or he didn't have a lot of exposure to in Tammy Abraham. He was in the championship. He saw a lot of Abraham. Uh, Tamori played under him, uh, Mount played under him, so these are guys that he actually knows he's not taking, as far as he's concerned, the management drastic chances of people that he has to, you know, he's he's unaware of, or he has to learn about, or anything like that. Um, and that's that, that's good for him, it's a good good conditions for him to work, but it's, you know, bringing in Christian Pulisic in, and integrating him into the team would actually be a bit more difficult than integrating Mason Mount, as far as Lampard's concerned. Um, and I think that spells a lot of danger for Pulisic, because that Mount, he's playing this way and Pedro's on the bench and Willian comes on. Where does that lead feel such to play and hudson Doy comes in? You know, he really has to fight for his spot, like you said, Mo.
0: He does have to fight for it, but it's also, we're five games into his first season at Chelsea and the guy is 20 years old. Like, I don't think we need to make too much of it.
2: Yeah, sure. I mean, we, we keep forgetting how young some of these people are. It's just, sometimes the money and and the fact that you're you're signing as opposed to a youth player does put a little bit more of a spotlight on you
0: yeah and uh, but yeah you're right uh, but i don't think that pedro or William really expected to although william's talking about a new contract but maybe he's just wishing it but um i don't expect them to be there for that long so you really got two squad places coming up for attacking wide players in the next like year or two you'd think Lastly in the in the top 6 battle I think we've got Spurs for Crystal Palace nil. This was a lot easier for Tottenham than I expected. Palace have been on good form and Spurs have been fairly terrible at the start of the season, but they just blew them away. Yeah, I
1: you know, we probably would have said maybe uh, Tottenham win, but it will be a tight 1-0 because Palace are going to be um, you know, compact and all that stuff. Um for nil i think in the first half they scored all the four goals. Um didn't didn't really expect that. But then again, Son had a wonder game. Um but this game left me angry. Left me angry because Harry Kane is still my leading score like my fantasy striker and I think he was still my captain. And I really wanted to captain money this week, but something told me it's Palace and he's just gonna do the business and he's not. And I don't know. I, I, I'll say this. Harry Kane is still a World class striker, obviously. No one's doubting that. But he started slow. And then, I re- then it hit me again. I think he actually does start slow. Either he's slow or he starts slow, or he's injured at the beginning of the season, if I'm not mistaken. One of the two always happens. So he'll well, still for, end up with 30 goals or something like that.
0: Yeah, well, for a couple of years, there was that weird August cuss thing where he didn't score in August. And then I think one of the seasons he was a bit injured. But, like, I think he's got a few goals this season. So he's starting less slow than usual, but still a little. Um, But you're right. So Son was was fantastic. Mo, I know he's one of your favorite players.
2: Yeah, and, again, this is one of the... It's almost... (laughs) I always think of him as, like, a youth player because, like, I liked him before I was cool. Like, I liked him from the Bundesliga. You know what I mean? So, like, for some reason, I just... You know, it, it's just unlucky for me that he went to Spurs, but I've liked him ever since, and I always thought he just has a technical ability. He's not just an out-and-out goal scorer, but he's also, like, he's got skills. He's on the ball. He can play out wide, and he's, he's a brilliant player. And when he's playing versus when he's not is a huge difference to Spurs' performances. Um, and, and, yeah, he, he, he did well with two goals here. And I got to say on the on the Harry Kane thing, I think, wasn't it his assist to Lamela that was beautiful? Was that? Was that? It was
0: such a good ball, man! It was such a good ball.
2: It was, and that—that's the thing about Kane too. He's not. He's also got that he can play deeper. You know, he's good with his long passes, with his hold-up play, with his. He's a bit more complete than just your out-and-out goal scorer too. So when he doesn't score, he still does contribute quite well to the team.
1: Tottenham fans are doing this thing now, um, where they're (laughs) they're comparing Lamela's start to the season with uh, Nicola Pepe. And it's just funny. <laughs> it's, 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 Lamella is just garbage, as far as I'm concerned. So it's funny that they've decided that we can we can die on this hill.
0: <laughs> I, I think you probably have to... Lamella usually like starts the season quite well. I think he has a couple goals and a few assists, so you, they probably just have to enjoy it while while it's going on, because you know he's going to die in a couple of weeks.
2: He has one Rabona a season, so that hasn't come yet. So... <laughs>
0: um, Speaking of of weird players, um, something that that made me, you know, Pochettino has talked a lot about the closing of the transfer window and how things have been unsettled and he wanted the window to close so that the squad could focus and blah, blah, blah. One person he had left out until the window closed was Aurier, almost despite, you know, despite the fact that he sold his other right back, Kyle walker Peters got injured, they played against um, Arsenal with Davinson-Sanchez at right back. And then Aurier comes back in, and we know he's inconsistent and a bit of a nutcase, but he, was, he put in by far the best right-back performance anyone has for this team all season. And you kind of just think, like, I know the window was open and there was a chance he might have gone, but that was true of Eriksen, too, and you played him. They kind of missed a right-back for a few weeks, and that was, you know, maybe Pochettino might regret that looking at his performance against Palace.
2: Uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't get your hopes, up. Alex, I know what you're saying. I just feel, uh, like you said, he's very inconsistent. And I don't know if if he can keep this up. You know what I mean? Sure, but, like, at least he is a right back. Yes, at least, yeah, sure. Sure, on paper, at least he's a right back, and he's not, whatever, that double-barreled name that, like...
1: Whatever. (laughs) Kyle Walker Peters.
2: Yeah. yeah. At least he's not him, is what you're saying. (laughs) I'm saying at least he's not him. Um... Anyways, um, just to kind of um, emphasize the kind of trauma that Arsenal fans uh, went through this weekend, Alex um, said that this was the last top six game we're going to talk about. <laughs> maybe oh, yeah, maybe thinking Arsenal will finish seventh. I don't know. I mean, that could be real. Uh, but um, yeah, that's the kind of trauma that we went through um, this weekend with this game. So to put it into context, this was a Sunday game, um, the second game on Sunday. And um, Watford... Our bottom of the table, they just um, had a managerial change. Um, so, you know, obviously, all that being said, they were going to put in a performance against Arsenal. and Arsenal, you know, like we said, Arsenal FC is Arsenal Football Charity. We've talked about this before. And when people need a, a little pick-me-up, we provide it. I honestly thought
1: you were going to
2: absolutely bulldoze these guys. Okay, if they're shit now, they're going to be shit. Shit.
1: <laughs> if they're shit then, they're going to be shit now. But that's what how that first half pan, panned out and then i don't know what was said or what happened to you but that was a colossal disgrace
0: i mean it, it is how the first half panned out and it isn't i mean arsenal scored two good goals in quick succession uh all full credit to obama especially on the first one um you know we talked about how good football is taking time out of the play um and speeding up your actions and the way that he spun and hit that was absolutely phenomenal. Um but to be honest, the goals were against the run of play. Watford created more even in the first half. Obviously the second half was a massive, you know, just bullying performance from Watford. As Arsenal just wilted under the pressure. But even in the first half it was not a comfortable game for Arsenal by any stretch. What happened at half time though, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if their mentality was affected, but you can't, you can't give away goals with the consistency that Arsenal do, and expect to expect to win games. You can't play out from the back and gift possession to an opposition forward ten yards from goal in, in the Premier League. Like it's just, it's so unprofessional. And you know, a lot of players. There's been debate online today as to you know, can you blame Emery when it was clearly individual errors? Yeah, you bloody can because Arsenal were trying this playing out from the back all game and they got caught a few times before the goal actually went in. And it's like, if you as the manager can't look at something going horribly wrong and correct it, what are
2: you there for? Emery resorted to being Emery and and it seems that his record and what people started to dig up at Valencia and people started to dig up at um, PSG is that he doesn't seem to be very good at knowing what to do when he's ahead. People point out at the 6-1 versus Barcelona, and people point out the um, loss to Real Madrid versus nine men from like 2-0 up to 4-2 down. And it just seems that it's it happens to Emery way too often that teams are allowed to come back into game in, in, in quite spectacular fashion. And people are saying, you know, the team just doesn't didn't seem to know in the second half whether to stick or twist. They were unsure you know are we trying to get a third are we just holding possession what are we trying to do and then the substitutions didn't help either where you know you play Ceballos and Ozil to keep possession but then you take them both off in the second half um which then completely gives the, the ball to offer the last 20 uh, minutes of the game Arsenal did not have more than eight passes in a row which means they had the ball for like 20 seconds max so it shows that the second half really was just all Watford, and it was coming. Like Tom Cleverley, even in the first half, I know Bernie. You know, looking at the results, it looks like Arsenal had a good first half, but they really didn't. The, the goals were against run of play. Tom Cleverley was dominating our midfield, and when I say dominating, I mean dominating. He had a performance. You know, people make fun of oh Arsenal make other teams look like Barcelona, but honestly, this was like Pekinista at, at some points where he was dribbling, <laughs> playing one twos, attacking the goal. It was ridiculous, and like like Alex said you know, yes, there are individual mistakes. Let's say David Luiz gave away a penalty. You know, David Luiz already gave away two penalties in like four games for Arsenal. He only gave away something like three in 160 for Chelsea. Reason being is that I don't think David Luiz ever had someone run at him the way Pereira was running at him at Chelsea because there are competent midfielders, there's competent shape, competent defensive ability that, you know, you don't have just an attacking player running at your centre-back in the box constantly over and over where you're inviting a mistake like penalty. So, Yes, it is an individual mistake, but this, the, the shape in the system, which is the manager's responsibility, is what allows the players to be in those one-on-one vulnerable situations. Watford had
0: 31 shots, which is a club record for a Premier League game and a record for, obviously a record for Arsenal. They never faced more. That's not individuals.
2: Yeah, in the last... I, I, sorry, Bernie. In the last five, five games, the beginning of the Premier League, Arsenal faced 96 shots. Nine, an average of 20 <laughs> a game. And you know, some of these games, again, you look back at the games, a lot of them were excuses, okay, we beat Newcastle barely well. It was the first game of the season. Uh, Burnley, like, there's always excuses. It gets to the point where, you know, when do you start to say that this might not be working for Emory?
1: I Arsenal haven't. I totally agree with you in terms of having people running at David Louise. But it's, I think we've said this before. You still, Alex and I have signed a treaty for, for the listeners. So I have a, a David Louise agenda and he has an Unai Emery agenda, and we have agree- we've come to an agreement, and we do this all the time now. I feel like every spot is there's, a, there's unity, and we find something. And we've now, I've see I've that Emery is trash and should be sacked immediately, and, <laughs> Alex, and, and Alex agrees that David Luiz is trash. Because, again, this, this idea of defenders needing to be protected, I understand the idea, but to be a good defender, you still need to be able to handle those situations better. Van Dyke handles those decisions very, very well. Harry McGuire handles them very, very well. Eric Laporte, all the But David Luiz, nine times out of ten, if a defender's running at him, you know he's going to bring him down or he's going to do something stupid and let the guy go past him the way he let Salah do. Then he can see the penalty again. It's not good enough. Like, your defense is, is, is resting on the hopes of a 24-year-old who's played 30 games for Arsenal in Rob Holding. That's not good enough. You can't do anything tangible like this. And Sokratis, being a guy to look, I think I like him. I do. But as Alex pointed out, there's that video that's going around on Twitter of how many times you passed from the back without an actual point, without a plan on how you're going to break a press if it comes. That's just stupidity. And yes, that's from the manager. But at the same time, Sokratis needs to man up and understand that, you know what, this isn't, this isn't making sense. We've tried this six times already and it has failed. And we're, I'm still going to do the same thing nah fam i can't do that he's they've got to recognize it on the pitch as well and that's where the intelligence of defenders of arsenal comes into question
0: Jack is the captain that that's you know you know while the defenders could take that individual responsibility or leno could take it and just knock it long at some point the captain has to say this isn't working and like even though we have these instructions we need to change it and he didn't
1: he, he came out and said that 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 arsenal were scared are you are you sick like <laughs> like that statement alone to me was, was more shocking than the performance. Like, what do you mean we were scared? What was, what was your plan to alleviate the fear that you saw, that you saw, that you saw in your teammates? Listen, yes. Gary Xhaka is the worst captain than Ashley Young, and he's the worst. He is your single point of failure in that team <laughs> above anything else. And I don't even lie to you guys, but watching him play is a disgrace to my eyes. And I, I cannot live in a world where Grant can play professional football any longer. I'm
0: over it. He is aptly named, though, because he is slow as a rock and thick as a rock.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, I have to say, another thing, thing that was said that was also very surprising was Emery's post-match interview where he said, you know... Good I, evening. Yeah, good evening, obviously. Um, horrendous evening. And then he said, I told the players at halftime that 2-0 is not enough. I'm like, are you like this is Arsenal Football Club versus Watford and you're two 0 up? What do you mean it's not enough? It should be way more than enough. Like, what mentality does it send when you send the players back saying, no guys, this is not enough. We could still lose this game. Like, are you serious? Like, also you look at the lineup. Like, the thing. This is the first time I'm really, really, really questioning whether Emery's the guy for the job. Like this game, this moment, because. I think he's made a horrendous... Like, play a winger. Stretch the play. But no, you have Ceballos and Ozil in there. None of who can play wide. So all of a sudden, you've got players overloading your, your full back, And I just feel it was, the setup was all wrong. You know, you have Ozil, Ceballos, but you're not dominating possession. So what is the point? You've got no defensive players in midfield. You're, you're trying to get Ceballos, Ozil, Guendouzi, and Shaka to defend. Chaka, we we've talked about Wintusi, Sabias, and and, and Ozil are all ball playing midfielders that want to just keep possession and play from deep and do whatever they do. They're not a Torreira. They're not a. I mean, there's nobody else that I can refer to in our team because we don't seem to have one. But it just it's clearly set up to fail, and the center backs obviously get all the brunt of it. But no one protects them. So what's the point? Right, and, and there are there are
0: also people who are, who are saying, well, look, and we we even said it earlier in the. And look, he doesn't have a full strength baller in there, and uh, Kieran Tierney is fit. Things might look different, and they might. The back four should look better with those guys there. But the fact is, if the setup is tactically completely incompetent, it doesn't matter who your back four are, unless you've got
2: four Van Dykes, you're still going to get done. No, that's true. And if you look at just the in-game management, if you look at the first twenty minutes, how much. How many times did De La Feo run at Ainsley Manonat? Eight, 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 eight. How many times did he have a clear one-on-one against the defender? And no matter who you are, when you have 20 one-on-ones, I think Arsenal had something like 20 touches in Watford's box. De La Feo had 16 on his own. Like, at least do something. See the danger. Be like, okay, Ainsley He's is here. He's not a defender. He's being one-on-one against one of the best, you know, one of the better dribblers in this league. Let's do something. Let's you know, I don't know what it is. It's not my job. I don't get paid for to do, but just do something. But not just watch the guy and put him out to to dry. You know, you know that's that's tactical. That's training. That's that's a lack of a plan in
1: even behind closed doors that that causes that sort of thing to happen.
2: Honestly, if Watford had scored their chances, they could have scored like six this game. And I think I think if they had like maybe Emery would have would have been gone by now. Like you you could go had like 37 attempts at goal or something like it it was actually ridiculous like i can't fathom these you know what i mean like i can't even think about what this means like they should have scored three more goals easily
0: yeah yeah it it was ridiculous anyway um soma you said if he was a go you'd be happy for freddie Lindbergh to to step in uh do you feel still feel like that
2: I feel like that, especially if he's going to step in for the rest of the season, you know what I mean? Like, if Emery would, would go, for example, in November, let's say, or December, I would be very happy to see what Liam Brick can do for the rest of the season and then make a decision then. I at
1: the wheel, <laughs> tell me how good does it I
2: just I just don't feel there's a lot of options, unless you go get me, like, an Allegri or, like, um one of the one of the German guys, you know? Um, maybe I could take that over over um, Leuenberg, but I just feel like give him a chance. I want to give Leuenberg one season and see what he can do. Um, but yeah, to me, Emery is one of where I'm veering towards that Emery out, but the other one is before, you know, I don't want to gloss over is Pepe. This is the fifth game now, and I get it. He's new to the league. This is blah, blah, blah. I get all that stuff, and I'd love him to be great, and I think he might still be, but I'm starting to get worried. And I'm not worried about lack of assists or lack of goals or whatever. I'm worried about watching 90 minutes of football and what I'm seeing on the screen. I, I, I'm I'm just slowly, you know, it's fading away. What
0: specifically is worrying you?
2: What's worrying me is that he seems a bit he has that Theo thing in him where like he almost doesn't know what's gonna happen to. Him. You know what I mean? Like it somehow works out at the end where he not makes some dude or something, but it's never it never feels like part of a plan. It never feels like he has this like vision of what's going to happen in the next couple of touches. It's always like three, four touches that are a bit random and then maybe something is going to happen. And I, that worries me a little bit. It doesn't seem as deliberate as, let's say, like a hazard when he's running. You know exactly what's coming. With Pepe, I just feel like we're unsure. He's unsure. Nobody knows. And, and then that worries me a little bit.
0: Fair enough. I, I, I still think it's um, it's very early. He's very young. New teammates, new league, I think. Um, had Twitter been around in the like early Perez days, everyone would be having a meltdown too. um, I, I think halfway through the season, maybe the end of the first season, we can really, we can really judge him, but I know what you're saying. It, it does seem a bit scatterbrained at the moment, but I think we need to give him time.
1: He could be having the same output of a championship winger from Swansea um we're also bantering guys with that so that it's pretty funny i don't expect the banter to last but i think that they will come good but <laughs> you know until then we're gonna have fun and we're gonna enjoy it i'm your 72 million dollar signing who you signed an installment and is playing an installment too apparently hey, hey, a, hey, like hey did you make that up it's not me it was a tweet i saw let's do that i'm not gonna take credit for that
0: it's unfortunate but very honest of you. all right let's take a quick break and when we come back we'll uh, maybe talk about some european stuff okay on uh tuesday and wednesday we've got the first round of the champions league um is anyone new gonna win it this season can liverpool defend their title they on the current season's form like it's hard to envisage anyone beating them but do you think they'll retain it
1: um I mean, they got to two successive finals, so clearly betting against them like I did last year is completely stupid. Um, So I will say that they will get to the final. Uh, They have a complete team. They got a great midfield, great defense, great attack. Obviously, world-class goalkeeper, maybe even best in the world, depending on who you ask. So it's hard to look past Liverpool. Only thing is they may not focus on it the way City will, and even them, I have doubts. I just think Liverpool are going to put all their attention in the Premier League, and that lack of focus might be what um bring someone else into play that said i do think they are the strongest team who else can beat them i'm not entirely sure
2: i I think i think even i don't know if this is going to be sound right but like i think even the fact that there's this gap building up slowly in the premier league because city are faltering slightly like even having a five point gap after five games that kind of gap if it continues into let's say february where the champions league um knockout is, is heating up I think if Liverpool have like an eight or nine point gap by then I think they're going to put all their eggs in that Premier League basket like Brady said I think you know they won enough European competition their fans would die for this Premier League that I think if there's a healthy gap it might actually affect their Champions League performance
0: yeah I think I think that's a reasonable point I think that's a reasonable point I do think they have enough you know I mean they they got very close last season um on fighting on both fronts so I think they have enough in their squad to, to do both if they want to um but yeah, I, I could see that happening. The, my only struggle is, you know, looking at the other teams in this competition, no one really jumps out as someone who's going to wrestle it back. Like Real Madrid has started the season horrendously, and obviously we know by February things look, can look very, very different. Um, Barcelona, because of Messi, are always a factor, and right now if I had to pick someone to meet Liverpool in the final, it might be them. But beyond that, Beyond that, are you backing Juve or Atleti or or Man City to make it? I mean City should, but they never do.
1: Yeah, but the man. problem is Sorry, look, the, the, the the problem is Barcelona, you know they're not gonna make it because they're gonna give it away in the quarterfinals or something like that, under Valverde, who I think gets a lot of I guess too much crap, but still that's just his curse in the way it is. PSG have a Neymar issue, so and an issue generally, so forget it uh juventus have sorry so on paper juventus probably should be capable of this but with a new system a new manager uh, how's the lick gonna is he gonna step up to the plate because he's they're gonna need something in defense there Uh, i don't know so i think i agree with you there's question marks about everybody Bayern munich are not going to do it so if Liverpool don't win this again it's probably because of focus and then that's that that would be it. It's not talent, and it's not a
2: squad. I think yeah, Liverpool on paper. But I uh, the thing with it's a lot of this like you know if teams click, and we've seen Real Madrid be a completely different team in January um than they were in, in August. You know we've seen a c- seasons where that happened, where they started off horrendously, and then the second half they've been phenomenal. And if you look at Barcelona and how they played over the weekend without Messi, you know if you can get that Busquets, Artur, and the young center midfield firing and playing well, and then you have a Let's say a firing Messi, Griezmann, and whoever the third person wants to be, and, and step up to that plate. You, you, you know, you could start to have a contender there too. So, th- that's the thing with knockout games—you never know what's going to happen. But Liverpool, I just don't think they're going to give it the attention it requires to win it.
0: Yeah. Okay. Uh, my let, let's do uh, some dark horse picks. Mine, and they're not—you uh, know—not super dark. They're like a medium, a, a blonde. Roast, yeah. Atletico Madrid, who have started the season while well. they're attacking, while well. Xavi Felix is is phenomenal. Um, Simeone seems to have gelled this team, this brand new team together quicker than anyone I've ever seen with this amount of signings. Um, and I think the added attacking flair that, that, that they've got this season might get them through some of the games where previously they would have just sat there and, and just tried to grind it out. I know Simeone is going to Simeone ultimately, but I think Xavi Felix adds adds a an element of magic they didn't have before
2: yeah i was gonna go with that that was my that was my option too for like a like you said not a very dark horse but uh a, like a, a bronze horse
1: <laughs> wow Bernie. since you guys took the good dark horses uh i'm gonna have to pick one who's really really shit apparently <laughs> uh my, my dark horse to win the champion's eagle actually is arsenal or master united
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Arsenal are a dark horse of the Europa League, let alone the Champions League.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Under the car, she's
2: going to be lit on Thursday, man. Yeah, join <laughs> us on a live podcast of the Europa League. Oh, we <laughs> should do that. <laughs> all right, well, we have the Champions
0: League to look forward to. Uh, we've got next week's Premier League fixtures. It's all kicking off and we will see you next week.
2: Thank you for downloading the Koshcast. Get in
0: touch at underthekoshblog at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at under underscore the kosh. And for articles, predictions, and the full experience, go to underthekoshblog.com.